Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. At one point or another, in the life and ministry of almost everyone who's ever done counseling, there comes that moment where you just feel like a failure, where you do everything you know to do, say everything you know to say, you, you resort to biblical truth, and, and the person with whom you're working just doesn't break through. I want to tell you about one of those today, and I want to tell you what really was the problem. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I've been doing a series based on my book, Courage to Be Healed. The subtitle is Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. I, uh, I've been discussing the levels of success with several different counselors. Some are more hopeful than others. One guy told me that if he had a real breakthrough, real healing, with 20% of his clientele, he felt like he had been successful. Another counselor laughed at that. He said 5% is a more realistic number. I really don't know what the number is. I do know that everyone who's ever taken part in counseling, who's ever tried at a pastoral level, at a professional level, you know there are some people that listen, that receive what you have to say, that are healed, that break through to wonderful new life, whatever percentage of your uh, clientele that is, and then there are others that just never can make it through. And those are such such pain to the counselor, and, and you're left just feeling so uh, distraught over it. I want to tell you about a certain young woman uh, with whom I ministered, a college girl, really. Her name was Martha. We'll call her Martha. And the outcome of that, but I don't want this to be a story in, uh, I don't want this this episode of the Leader's Notebook to be one that is dark and gloomy. I, I want you, us to land in a place of hope and restoration, but I want to begin with the story of Martha, and I'm telling you as I start, it was not one of the brightest moments in my counseling career. Martha was an 18-year-old college freshman. She had been homeschooled. She was brought up in a very, very religious background, which is not bad. It was good, but uh, she was completely convinced uh, that she was unattractive. Frankly, I did not think she was. I thought she was an average-looking girl, but she felt unattractive. Her decision to attend a state university three states away from her family uh, had left her friendless and alone that she was attending a secular school for her made matters worse. It also didn't help that her roommate at that school was Martha's opposite in nearly every way. That girl was vivacious, attractive, slim, and exceptionally worldly. She was also a very experienced bisexual, and Martha was easy pickings. Martha's suicide attempt just before the Thanksgiving break of her first semester in college, stunned her parents. Thank God it was unsuccessful that time. She was sent home, of course. Her parents were terrified and in shock, and in counseling, Martha stonewalled for weeks. She deflected and demurred. She wouldn't really 
tell me what the situation was. Finally, the breakthrough came with her stunning confession. Afterwards, she asked, do I have to tell my parents? Uh, Do you have to tell my parents? I said, whether you have to or not, I can't say. I am forbidden to tell them. She said, well, they're paying you, aren't they? And I, I said, yes, they are paying me, but that doesn't matter. I will not tell them. I will not tell anybody else. And she said, um, my roommate. I said, what about her? She said, well, I mean, we, what? You can tell me anything, Martha. And she told me. She began weeping, crying, shaking her head, uh, gripping the arms of her chair. And Martha just began to cry out, I'm not a lesbian, I'm not a lesbian. And I said, I understand. Is, is, is that what happened? She wouldn't answer the word yes. She just said she was nice to me. I just wanted to be friends. The next thing I know, and then she said, I can't stand to think about it. So I asked her how many times. She seemed absolutely horrified. She said, oh, my God, once, just once. I'm not a lesbian, just once. So I said, you don't think your parents can forgive that? She said, never. They will never forgive me. I said, maybe they could. They seem to love you very much. They believe the Bible. She said, I think they could forgive a lot of things. They could never forgive that. And I said, what makes you say that? She said, I know what they believe. I said, they believe in a God of grace, don't they? She kept her head down. She wouldn't look up. I said, well, don't they? And she said, I guess they do. You guess? I asked her, what What about you? Do you think God forgives? Let's look at 1 John 1, 9. She said, I was brought up in the church. I know what 1 John 1, 9 says. And I said, well, don't you believe it? And she says, I don't believe it for that. I said, why not? She said, my father is a pastor. And in our denomination, fallen ministers can be restored for any sin except homosexuality. I said to her, I don't know what your denomination believes about restoring ministers. But I know what 1 John 1, 9 says, and I know what it means. If anyone will confess their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. All has to mean all or it doesn't mean anything at all. Do you believe that? She just shook her head and began weeping. I said, do you hear me, Martha? Do you hear what I'm saying? She would not look up. There was no breakthrough. There was no shining, liberating moment. After a while, she dropped out of counseling. Her parents couldn't make her come back. And when I heard from her confused and horrified parents that she had hanged herself, I was just stunned. Every counselor probably has one like that, one story where they just say it was totally and completely unnecessary. Martha was just a lonely girl who gave in to a single moment of what she felt at the time was tenderness and intimacy. In the light, in the morning afterward, she was left with nothing but an unspeakable horror that she had stepped over some line with God, with her family with her denomination, and there was no going back. She couldn't live with the life of secrecy that she thought lay ahead of her, and she couldn't live with a church-going life knowing 
that the God of her parents' church despised her. She lost track of the God of the New Testament, and she came under the power that killed her. Condemnation killed Martha. Have you ever heard anybody say, I know God has forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself? Every counselor has heard this, and probably you have. Maybe you've even said it. I hope not, and if you have, I hope you'll never say it again. Self-loathing, even self-destructive impulses, are often rooted in condemnation. The horrible double hurt of sin and condemnation drags many away from the God of the New Testament and into a terrible, horrible God that is remorseless and relentless and filled with judgment. Here here is the toxic pattern. The toxin of condemnation flows out of the throne, the stronghold of idolatry. That may surprise you. We'll come back to it. And the only thing that can tear that throne of idolatry down is the biblical therapy of worship to bring that tortured life into balance. What happened with Martha was that she replaced the promises of the New Testament with what she thought, I don't know anything about her denomination, what she thought was the absolute conviction of her denomination that that one sin might be forgiven in the sense of going to heaven, I suppose, but it could never be restored, never be renewed, that, that a pastor who had ever had any kind of homosexual experience could never be restored. Now, she extrapolated that out in a way that maybe that denomination doesn't. But to her, the fact that a pastor who had experienced homosexuality could never be restored translated to mean anyone who had ever experienced a homosexual act could never be restored to God. If you cannot be restored to the ministry, she thought, she reasoned, you can't be restored to God. And what happened was condemnation that led to despair and despair that led to a tragic teenage suicide. And her parents, devastated, standing beside a grave trying to figure out what had happened to their sweet little girl that they had schooled at their dining room table. I believe condemnation is one of the most destructive of all the toxins. Now, why is it rooted in idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of anything other than God or the worship of God as other than he is. So if we replace the God of grace and mercy with a God of judgment and condemnation, that's idolatry. If we replace God's grace with our own self-judgment, that's also idolatry. So if you hear someone say, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself, then what they're saying is, my judgment is better than God's. They have placed themselves above the righteous, omnipotent judge of the universe. So God says there is therefore now no condemnation, and they say, oh, yes, there is. And they live under their own condemnation, while there is in every biblical sense, no condemnation from God, they move out from under the grace of God and back under 
their own condemnation, condemned by themselves, they replace their own condemnation with the grace and mercy of Almighty God, and that is a form of idolatry. So what is the answer to that statement? I know God has forgiven me, but I I cannot forgive myself. Actually, it's a kind of harsh answer, and here's the answer. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you think you are a more righteous, more uh, discerning judge than God Almighty? Have you, have you replaced God's grace with your judgment? That's idolatry. So what is the, the therapy for it, if you will? How do we get healed of that? So worship is the therapy. And like any therapy, it requires discipline. An athlete with a sports injury will enter into a rigorous program of rehabilitation. He doesn't ask himself questions about things like sincerity. He does not worry about whether his heart is in it. He simply plunges into the routine, believing that the long-run outcome of the repetitions will be therapeutic. Sometimes the therapy of worship may seem stale or even unrewarding in the short run. The counselor must urge the wounded heart on. I know that this flies in the face of much that we're taught, but to go on religiously. I hear people say all the time, I'm not religious, I'm just a Christian. But sometimes the therapy of worship must just be applied religiously. Just do the repetitions. Just lift the weight. What does it mean? Read the scripture. Do the sit-ups, one, two, three, copy that verse, say it again, repeat it again, say it one more time, lift, work, memorize, jog, meditate, say it aloud, again and again and again. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Dark, imbalanced self-absorption can be attacked and pulled down with a biblical therapy of hard work. This occurs when the therapy of worship is at work, daily forcing one's thoughts upward and outward, out from under the dominion of self-hatred, can be hard emotional work. The fruit of that therapeutic work is a balanced, whole life, free from the wounded emotions of self-hatred and condemnation. So gratitude humility, other-centered living. Worship is by definition other-centered, centered on God Almighty and then on others as we begin to, to practice the worship of God as He is, reminding our inner selves over and over and over again, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that love God, that live inside His grace. So I can move out from underneath the condemnation that the world and maybe the church pour on me, and at least that I pour on myself and move in under the grace of Almighty God. Now, I don't know where you are. I don't know who's listening to this podcast or who are subscribing to this podcast. So if there's one person listening to me who is saying to themselves, this time I've gone too far. This time my sin is too great. This time it's too dark in my soul. Not even God can forgive me. Not even God will. You have replaced the God of mercy and grace 
with a dark and forbidding spirit that is not the God of the New Testament. Say this to yourself. If anyone will confess his sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. Actually, that one verse is sufficient therapy to defeat the toxic flow of condemnation. But you have to get in under it over and over and over again. Exodus 20 and verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. That means also your own conscience can become a god of self-hatred and condemnation. You have to put that conscience at the foot of the cross, believe for God's redeeming mercy, claim the blood of Jesus over your sin. I can hear someone saying right now, but you don't understand. I, I wasn't like Martha. I didn't commit the sin once. I committed it over and over and over again. Then I would ask you this. Are your repetitions of sin greater than God's offer of repeated mercy and grace? Now you begin to replace the sin with a life that is committed to Christ, and you begin to do the repetitions. Just lift the weight over and over and over again. I worship a God of mercy and grace, and I am believing that he has forgiven me and cleansed me of all unrighteousness. The healing antitoxin for condemnation and the lie on which it rests is the truth that God is God, and is to be worshiped as God. And when he is, I begin to be healed by the same mercy and grace that forgives my sin. Now I begin to be healed by that mercy and grace. I pray that for you and with you right now. Say it to yourself. If I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. No matter what you heard at your dining room table, or at some denominational meeting, God is a God of forgiveness. If you'll receive that and repeat it, just work it out. Even when you don't feel forgiven, just do the repetitions. And healing is on the way. I want you to have this book, Courage to Be Healed. There's someone that you know that needs to read this book. I want you to stay tuned at the end of this podcast and find out how you can get this book and get as many copies as you want for those who need it. I'm thrilled with the response to this book, Courage to be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. I believe courage to be healed can be a tremendous blessing to you and to others that you know and love. God wants us healed. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for joining me on The Leader's Notebook. To order a copy of Courage to be Healed for yourself or someone you love, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter the promo code COURAGE for 30% off. To order by the case, please call us at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.